Hello, and good morning. My name is Robin Antoine, and uh, I sit with the elders here at New Life Fellowship. And uh, it is just a pleasure to be able to uh, have this talk with you today. Um, we're we're going to have a little talk today about peace under pressure. And, and what does that look like? And mainly answering the question of, how can I experience peace under pressure? And this scenario that we're in, being separated, uh, self-isolation, uh, this pandemic, it, it's sort of a pressure cooker event. You know, I, I did describe it this way earlier this week in conversation, just kind of like how we're all in our homes together uh, with our, our own issues, our own missed goals, our own pain, and uh, the ways we want our family to be like, um, and the ways that they're not, and how that causes so much contention and anxiety or duress. You may even be by yourself and you're alone in dealing with the struggle of that and how your own pain and, uh, and issues that you're dealing with, are, they're not being responded to or dealt with others. And so there's a pressure cooker event going on for each and every one of us. Dare I say an instant pot event. Oh, might be a little more relatable. But in this sense, it reminds me and, and brings me back to an event in my life where I was considerably under pressure. Actually, an event for both my wife and I. The year was 2011. My wife and I were recently married. We were going on our honeymoon to Montego Bay, Jamaica. And we had gotten to the resort. We were there about a day. And my wife's insulin pump stopped giving her insulin. My wife is a type 1 diabetic, and she needs insulin uh, uh, to be supplied to her. And so this mechanical device that was supposed to supply her the insulin, and it stopped doing that, and so she was not able to control her blood sugars. And so we had to go to a resort hospital. Have you ever been to a resort hospital? Uh, I don't think I'll ever go again if I could help it. But basically, my wife and I were put in a situation where she needed care and, and adequate care quickly. And so we had to go to this resort hospital and she was, had to be put on a gurney uh, in this hospital. And, and uh, she had to sleep actually overnight at the hospital because they had to supply her with insulin via uh, uh, syringes. And, and uh, to one side of us, uh, to her, there was a curtain with somebody who had uh, recently been bitten by a shark or something like that, and somebody else to the other side who had uh, broken their arm on a cruise ship. And she had to sleep there for the night, and I had to sleep in the waiting room on plastic chairs. And I remember thinking to myself, what did I do to deserve this? I must be getting punished in some way, you know, in some way I made an error in our relationship, you know, maybe I didn't take, take, you know, I kissed dating goodbye by Josh Harris, you know, very seriously. And so God was punishing me for that. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I woke up in the morning with drool on that plastic waiting, um, uh, waiting room seat. And, uh, and I woke up to, uh, the people at the resort hospital letting us know that we had to pay up. So we, we had to pay up for the stay, and so we had to empty our, basically our credit cards after being married, going through all of that process, and, and not having any more money to actually be able to afford the stay until we could fly home. So we had to call our parents and ask them to help us out and help us to cover the costs. And 
there's only so much that we could do just being at a distance. And so I remember I was sitting down with uh, one of the attendants there at the resort hospital and, and they weren't being very nice about the situation and, and I was feeling under pressure. But I had a moment of peace, just a moment of awareness where a thought came to me. My uncle, who is a doctor uh, in the Caribbean island of Grenada, uh, he went to school in Jamaica. He studied medicine in Jamaica. So maybe he knows somebody here who can help us out. So it was very quick. You know, I texted my mom and then my mom got in touch with my uncle. And let me tell you, it was like one, two, three, bam, it was done. I, I was receiving texts and phone calls letting me know that my uncle did know somebody in Jamaica who had his own private hospital, owned his own private hospital, and that we could stay at his private hospital for a discount. And so my wife would not only be able to stay at this hospital, but she'd be able to have her own room and I would be able to visit her there. And I often think back to this time and, and think, you know what, why didn't I come to that conclusion earlier? Why did I, was I succumb to the pressure so badly? Like, if I had that sense of clarity earlier, maybe we would have saved money, maybe it would have saved us the duress of what we experienced. And the truth is, is that we've all generally have been in these situations where we've been under pressure. And we cannot experience the peace of mind to maybe even make right decisions uh, or to help and serve those who are around us. But let me tell you, we don't regret that experience whatsoever. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't wish it on anybody. We wouldn't do it that way again. But the value of what we experience together as a couple, uh, it's, it's insurmountable because we learned that we can have peace under pressure, that no matter what we face together, that there is something undergirding our relationship, binding us together. And it's this truth that peace is not just a feeling and it's not based on our external circumstances. It is based on the fact that God is with us and God is for us. You know, I was reflecting on this, you know, just this morning. And, and it was as if Jesus took the opportunity. And I just want to share this with you. It was, it was, as, it was as if Jesus took the opportunity to, to step into that memory with me. And he gave me a picture of, of where he was in that moment. And uh, that moment when I'm sitting down talking to the doctor. And he gave me the vision of just him coming in to the room and, and putting his left arm over my shoulder. And then his, just his right arm just coming over here around my chest and just his hand just on my chest, patting my chest, just saying, Robin, listen, listen to me. And that in the moment just, just kind of brought me to tears because I just realized that maybe that was exactly the experience. He was inviting me to understand how he was with me and for me in that moment, even though I was under so much pressure. You know, all of us need to know this in some way, shape, or form, what it is to have peace under pressure. And we're under pressure right now, but the truth is, as people who are in Christ, we're under a lot of pressure and a lot of constant pressure because of the unholy trinity, because of you know, Satan and his fallen angels, because of the world externally, because of pandemics and, 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 and those 
family members that we have who are who are sick and we're at risk and and we also have internally on top of that we also have indwelling sin we have the flesh giving us pressure we're under constant pressure but what I want us to, to learn today is that there is a biblical understanding to, of peace that presents peace as also being a constant pressure, a static reality, a fixed rate of return that is constantly against the constant pressure that we, we are under, supporting us and undergirding us and strengthening us. Um, I want to read today and, and, and have us learn today from Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 8 to 15. And this is generally a Christmas passage. Uh, passage. Uh, we often uh, pack this passage up with our decorations at Christmas time and never look at it again. Uh, but I want us to look at it because it's a significant point in human history where the angels make a declaration for all humanity and if we have an understanding of what they shared, then we can have a greater understanding of what peace is. And peace is not like what the world gives. It's not variable and based on our external circumstances. Like I said earlier, the peace that Jesus gives is, is constant. And, um, and it's for right now. What I want us to understand by the end of this talk is that Jesus gives us peace for right now and not for later. That your now the pressure that you are under, Jesus cares about that. And he did something significantly about this scenario so that you can have peace um, when you are under pressure in this moment. It's peace for being um, under pressure or not under pressure. It's peace for being understood or, or misunderstood. Uh, it's peace uh, for when you're under grace and it's peace for when you're under the law, if other people are imposing law on you. Um, it is the rock to build your house on instead of building it on the sand. It is the cornerstone that you can build your life on. And this peace that Jesus gives us right, for right now, for the moment that you're in, and not for later. Uh, so before we continue, let me just pray quickly and uh, we'll look at this passage together. Uh, so Jesus, it's, it's not enough for me to, to share my own experiences and, and, and even just share my own knowledge from the Bible. It has to be you right now. Because we're talking about what you give and what you want to communicate to us right now when we are under pressure. So Jesus, open our eyes to what you're saying to us through your word. And I pray that we have renewed comfort this morning and continue on, continuing on this week and through social isolation because of what you shared this morning. I ask this in your most holy name. Amen. Well, Jesus' life on earth began with several pronouncements. I mean, all of these pronouncements were actually done by angels, and that's a big deal. Uh, because in the Old Testament, any time an angel showed up to give any kind of pronouncement, it was basically God saying, listen, I am changing your normal. I am going to bring deliverance. There's going to be a new normal after this announcement. And so it is very fitting then that when Jesus, uh, the Messiah, God's Son, came to earth, that there was three announcements uh, by angels. Uh, the one to Mary, uh, one to Zechariah, uh, Jesus' uncle, and then one to the shepherds, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And so we have to understand that when angels show up, you realize that this is going to be a big deal. And to any people in Jewish culture, they realize that this is a very, very big deal. 
So let's read it together. I'm going to be reading from the um, uh, from the English Standard Version, and it goes like this: Luke nine, uh, Luke chapter two, verses nine to fifteen. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So let's zero in on, on, what, the angels, on what the angels had said to them. Um, but before we do that, let's, I want to grab your imagination, right? Because one angel, if we look at the passage uh, correctly, one angel announces where Jesus is and that Jesus is born. But a multitude of angels makes this declaration. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now imagine the transition of sound from one terrifying angel to a multitude of terrifying angels all saying this together. I mean, that it was the importance of this phrase. One angel was not enough. God wanted to reveal to the shepherds what was happening behind the scenes. He pulled back the curtain and he could see, and they could see the entire heavens just rejoicing. Peace on earth matters to God. Your peace matters to God. You know, glory to God in the highest is like just saying, you know, you know, praise the Lord in the heavens. And that was the angels' response. That was their rejoicing about the news that the Messiah had come. And so they are created beings, and that was their response. But their, their expectation for us as also created beings wasn't to have a similar response. They were looking at, you know, humanity saying, okay, listen, we're rejoicing, so you better rejoice because, look, now you're going to get saved. It was, it was a declaration of rest. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. I mean, that is a big deal to God, and he wanted the, the, um, the shepherds to really understand that. So the word, obviously, that, we, that we're focusing on today is the word peace. And in the Greek, the word peace is irene. And, um, and in Hebrew, though, this word peace is the word shalom. And I mentioned the Hebrew uh, because the, uh, the shepherds would have heard and understood the angels in their native tongue, which would either be Aramaic or Hebrew. But the, the passage, the, uh, the script was, was recorded, uh, the narrative was recorded in Greek. So we understand that the word shalom is probably more or less what was implicated to the shepherds, is what they understood. And you're going to hear enough about shalom, let me tell you right now online, if you are following any ministry leaders, if you're following any pastors, any, any Christian ministries right now, uh, everyone's talking about shalom, and, and rightfully so, because it is such a large word, it has so many implications for us, that it's very hard to exhaust it. 
But shalom means this. Shalom means peace, but it also means wholeness. Uh, it means well-being. In, G in Jewish culture at the time, it was also sort of a financial term. So that um, if you had an outstanding balance on a payment and you were able to pay it off, well, then your account would be at shalom with your debtor. Uh, your requirements to be at peace with your debtor would be complete. And now I want to use this word complete um, very strategically because there's, a, there, there's something so wondrous about the word complete and the word uh, peace in, in the Hebrew language. I know I'm going off on my, on my words, but I want you to pay attention, okay? So just put down your lucky charms for just a second. I really want you to get this, okay? Shalom is the word for peace, but the word for complete in Hebrew is shalem. These two words are so closely linked. They're so closely linked, actually, um, even beyond what you understand, because, because in the, they're only separated by an inflection by how you say them. The, the original, like original Hebrew uh, scribers didn't add vowels to words. It was such an oral tradition that vowels were added later on um, because people were concerned that people would lose the oral tradition. But originally, Hebrew was recorded without vowels. So this word shalom and shalem are only separated by an inflection in how you said it. So to be complete and to have peace are almost sort of the same thing. So you know, if these shepherds are hearing this for the first time, they're able to relate that. That, they, that, that when they hear peace, they're also understanding it as a sense of completeness among those whom God is well pleased. And, and the truth is that we sort of understand it, even though peace and complete are you know, two different words in the English language, we, we can have an understanding of that because we treat peace in the same way. Uh, we, we use terms like, I have no peace of mind because I am missing such and such a thing. Or I have no peace of mind because no one is behaving in the way that I want them to. Either my spouse or my children or my family members. Uh, I, I lack peace because I, I am missing this such and such a thing in my life. If I had them, well then I would be complete. I, I, I would have peace. If I had my regular schedule back, I'd be at peace. If I knew when my next paycheck was coming, oh, I would be at peace. Uh, when the socialization is over and I'm, I'm reconnecting with my friends, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll be at peace. Then I will be complete. You see, we go around attributing peace to anything and anyone. So, so let's go back and just have a little bit of fun. Let's apply this implication a bit about you know, a sense of completeness and, and peace. Um, the angel said, um, and a sense of completeness on earth among those with whom God is pleased. So the question still stands, how can I experience this sense of completeness under pressure? Um, uh, how, how do I attribute anything to that? What, what would make me complete because the truth is that my circumstances, what I can see, what my five senses tell me, tells me that I'm not. Well, let's continue to look at this verse because there is a condition in the verse in which someone can experience the peace that the angels proclaimed. And what is the condition? It's, it's this unnamed group of people whom God is, is pleased with. So it begs the question again, what do I need to do 
to please God? And the response is, well, probably you could, you could maybe do several things. You could, you could stop um, uh, eating uh, fries with mayonnaise. That's, that's just gross. And you should stop. Um, or putting ketchup on eggs. Sorry, I'm not judging you. There, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. But you know what? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says that I can grieve the Holy Spirit. So, so that means that there are things that I could do that wouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. So, so then how, how is this a reflection of, of me experiencing wholeness? How is this a reflection of me uh, experiencing peace? I mean, uh, is it, should I be striving for, to please God? Is there something that I should do so I could feel more complete, so I could feel this peace? Uh, I mean, if, if that is your mentality, then, then your God is, is a disgruntled father with his arms crossed and his, and his brow f- uh, furled and he's looking at you underneath his eyebrows and he's stressed out at your performance and he's waiting for you to, to, sh- to smarten up so he can give you just a little bit of peace so that, so that you could be worthy of peace. Scary thought. Is that your concept of God? Is that your concept of Father? Is that how he looks at you? I mean, I mean you're not alone if, if that's how you think God is. I mean, I, I, I was like that for a time. I used to think he was like that. That's how I kind of felt on our honeymoon. Maybe God was disappointed with me, and so he was punishing me. You see, if there's a problem here if I have to earn God's favor to experience peace. Because whatever that standard is for, for pleasing God, I, I, I have to know what it is. I have to reach it. I have to, I have to go after that. And, and I fail constantly. So how would I ever be at peace if I have to earn God's favor? So again, we have to ask the question then, what is the human standard then for pleasing God, right? And, and, and to actually understand that is just to go you know, forward to Luke chapter three, where we find out the one human uh, who actually had that said about him, and it was Jesus. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and uh, when he came out of the water, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And let me tell you, he earned it. He earned that title. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15, says that he was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. I mean, is that you? Is anyone else here capable of of doing that? And the only person I think is capable of that that I know of is maybe Ross, but I I, I don't know if this is, that's not me. I, I mean, are any of us here um, qualified to be the sacrificial lamb for the whole earth. You know, you have to live a blameless life in order to do that. Is anyone here qualified? I, I mean, I certainly am not. If Jesus is the human standard by which to please God, well, let me tell you, all of us are disqualified. And you were born disqualified. It's like telling um, a bunch of ice cubes, uh, you know, uh, in front of a fireplace, you know, Little ice cubes, be like fire in the fireplace. And then throwing the ice cubes into the fire. 
The ice cubes didn't stand a chance because they, they can't attain that. It's too high of a bar to reach, you know? I, I get a little rubbed the wrong way when people say, what would Jesus do? I mean, that's, that's the wrong question. I mean, maybe the right question is, what did Jesus do? And if we're going to ask that question, well, let me tell you, uh, this, this contest or this conversation is over. Because what Jesus did is he set the bar for the human standard to please God really high. And it's in the stratosphere. We can't even see it. I mean, I was born shrieking. I came out of the womb shrieking into planet Earth, born spiritually dead. You know, I was born under pressure. Uh, my ancestor Adam, he, he came to life, he became alive because God breathed into his spirit. And so Adam, therefore, was dependent on God for life. Adam sinned, sin disconnected him from God, and Adam's spirit became independent of God for life. Not only that, but sin came and dwelt within his body, the parasite of sin, indwelling sin, the flesh, came and lived inside of him. And not only that, but I inherited my ancestor Adam's dead spirit when I was born, his spirit that was disconnected from God that couldn't do anything on its own to be reconnected to life, but I also inherited the flesh too. The, this, this entity that's inside of me that takes the natural good desires that I have to be reconnected to God, to be re reconnected to life and love and acceptance and security and belonging and worth and takes it and twists it so that I experience death instead. I, I was born, if it, it was a high jump analogy, uh, you know, Jesus jumps and we don't see where he lands. Uh, but we can't even take off because we have, we have weights on our feet. I mean, there is nothing that we could do to earn the standard. That is why we were then qualified for being rescued. That is why somebody else had to do the work for us. That is why when we came to the point where we believed in Jesus, that when Jesus was crucified, we were also crucified. Our dead spirit, our, our old spirit was, was removed. The essence of our existence was removed and then we were resurrected with Jesus. Now with a new spirit that is totally dependent on God, that is full of life, but now joined also with his spirit. So secure, so involved with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and I'll get this, who loved me and gave himself for me. The essences of our existence had to die with Jesus so that we could be remade. So we can be remade as acceptable and approved and loved by our Heavenly Father. So God is completely, completely and utterly pleased with you. He's, uh, as someone I, I know um, likes to say, he, he's crazy about you. We were qualified not only for death, but we, because of the situation we were in, we were qualified to be rescued. Someone else had to do the work. So let's revisit this verse again, right? 
is peace something that is a variable? Does it come and go? Is it, is it dependent on our external circumstances? Well, the answer is no. This peace the angels is talking about, the angels are talking about, is an event. Uh, it's, it's God with you. It's God at peace with who you are and his relationship with you. It's God um, drawing you uh, into a deep uh, relationship where he cares and protects us. Peace is something that you stepped into and something that has taken residence in you. You cannot attribute that value to anything. Now, let me say this again. You cannot attribute that value to anything outside of you. Uh, I, I, I had this bike, and um, I was about 12 years of age, and I was riding my bike you know, um, out by a local play, uh, playground area, and I was going up and down hills very quickly. And uh, I love to like race down hills very fast, you know, kind of put your feet up and you know go down a hill really fast on your bike. And and, I, and there was this one really tall hill that was close to a playground area, and the playground area obviously had sand, and it was a great big sand pit with like um, with swings and stuff. And so I'm taking off on my bike, and I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna go really fast down the steep hill, you know, into the playground. Now. The gravel that I've been riding on can handle the force of my bike on top of it. Uh, the grass and the soil that I've been riding on can handle the force of my, of my weight and my bike on top of it. But sand is very different. It's not the same kind of material. Uh, there's a lot of air pockets in sand, and so if you go at it at a very high speed, you know, uh, you're, it's not going to sustain you at the same uh, uh, density as the other, other surfaces would. And so here I am, I take off down this hill, and I, and I fly down towards the sand pit. And I hit the sand pit, and, and this is what happens. The, the bike flies out behind me. I go face first into the sand. And there was, a, there was like a pocket of time uh, when I realized that the bike was in the air and I was still on the ground. And then the bike fell down on top of me. And I learned a very good lesson that I cannot attribute the same value to gravel, um, sorry, to, uh, to pavement and to, and to grass and soil that I can attribute to sand. They're two different things. Sometimes we get caught uh, trying to make our circumstances, uh, our possessions, our family members, our children, uh, an object by which we have peace. If people perform the way we want them to, the things work out the way we want them to, and you know, we get disappointed. Uh, we get hurt because the truth is that that's, that's not where peace is found. Uh, it can't be attributed to those things. Those who please God, let's go back to the verse. Those who, whom God is pleased, they inherit true peace because they are at peace with God and they are complete. I want you to get that. You're complete. You are lacking nothing. So peace is not something, again, that is overwhelmed. This peace that we have is not overwhelmed by external circumstances. Therefore, if someone says, getting back to our question, if someone says, how can I experience peace when I'm under pressure, what they're actually saying is that something is making me experience death and not life. 
There, I, I'm supposed to be experiencing life because I'm united with Christ, but I'm, but I'm experiencing death. And why is that? And we know the answer to that. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 7 verse 5 says this, for, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So, so, so let me explain this a little bit, right? What, what does experiencing death mean? It, it, it just, experiencing death is, is not the fact that we're actually physically dead, but you know that you are somewhat turning to dust in this moment. I mean, your, your skin follicles fall off, uh, they, they fall on the ground, you sweep them up with the broom, um, and you are already returning to dust. I mean, we are experiencing death at this moment. We experience death in many different ways. We experience it emotionally with the anxiety and the duress that we're experiencing right now, with the stress that we are under, with the pressure that we're under. We are experiencing it, but we can also experience life. And I love how um, uh, the third letter of John, you know, chapter one, verse two says this, that, that we can, um, that we can prosper, that, that John says to, to, to the people he's writing to, that, that our souls, that he wants our souls to prosper as our spirits are, are prospering. And, and our, our, our emotions, our, our minds can prosper. We can experience life, the life that we have now united with Christ. We can experience that in our bodies and in our minds as well. And so if there is something alive and well in us, the flesh, that is making us experience death, well, I guess what the answer is, well, how are we going to deal with this thing? How are we going to go head to head with it? And the response is really this. I just love Galatians 5. It's just such a cornerstone uh, chapter for me. I find it so practical in understanding what it is to live the exchange life. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, but I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We, we, wrestle, against, um, we wrestle against the flesh. Matter of fact, I shouldn't say necessarily we, but the, the Holy Spirit is opposed to the desires and the, and, the, and the motivations of the flesh and is actually fighting for us to experience life rather than experiencing death. Because again, is, is peace something that's a variable? No, it's not. It, it's a static force. It's, a, it's an event. It's something that happened. It's God with us, and that's not going to change. But are we experiencing death? Yes. And so the Spirit of God is on your side to help you to experience life and going head to head against the flesh, which is trying to make you experience death. Doesn't that give you some sense of comfort? I mean, rather than us looking at our situations, trying to control our situations so that we can feel at peace on our own abilities, uh, you know, absent of God, it, the spirit is, is battling uh, to do that in our lives. And guess what? what, what what's one of the... I shouldn't say the fruit. So what, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, and peace. It, it's who He is. It's the, it's the essence He gives off. It's the, it's the aroma He leaves in the room. It's, it's, it's what He's about. He, he's about peace. If He's at, at work in your, your life, then, then peace is, is present. 
And guess what? It's also his, the spirit of God is joined with your spirit. So peace is not going anywhere. You're not absent. You're not lacking it. But yeah, you might be experiencing death. And so what is really then, you know, left for us to do? You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to my honeymoon story. Let's go back to Montego Bay, Jamaica. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself about that experience. And I'm thinking, you know, what, you know, if I had an understanding of how much God loved me and how God was for me and, and God was with me, how I was approved by him and, uh, and loved by him, then maybe I would have paused, you know, when we first found out about the, the, the insulin pump. Maybe I would have paused and said, you know what, I'm under pressure, um, but I am okay. Because the peace that I have is more than a feeling. More than a feeling. Anyway, now you're paying attention. The peace that I have is more than a feeling. It is you, Father, your spirit with me. And so maybe I would have prayed, you know, Holy Spirit, I am willing to let you show me right now what that actually means. In this particular situation that I am under pressure, what does it mean for you to be peace embodied living inside of me? Can you show me what that is? Maybe I would have came to the realization about my uncle earlier. Maybe we would have saved a little bit more money. Uh, maybe, we wouldn't have had, maybe we would have been able to have left earlier. There's, there's all kinds of scenarios present there. I mean, we're fine now. But to have an understanding of how near the peace of God is to you, it can give us um, a sense of care, a sense of protection, and an awareness, a wherewithal to say, Holy Spirit, how and, and what are you doing right now um, to lead me and my family or my friends into, uh, into peace when we're considerably under pressure? I've said a lot, and, um, and, and one thing I don't want to leave our talk with is, is, is to let anyone feel like they're wrong for not feeling peace. I mean, it's okay to not feel peace, to, to feel anxiety or discord. I mean, first and foremost, we do have an enemy even within, you know, despite our enemies without, that makes us, make us not want to experience peace. Uh, wants to rob us of that experience of, of knowing what it is to have peace live within you and to have life. Um, and, and, and another thing is also true, too, that, you know, in some ways, Jesus is not interested in entertaining um, us living according to the flesh, living, of course, uh, uh, living independent of him, uh, uh, rejoicing in all our circumstances being right and being all together. I mean, that's something to rejoice and be thankful for, but if that is where we're getting our peace from, well, Jesus doesn't want us, doesn't want us attributing a value to something that we shouldn't. Um, he's not afraid of this pandemic, and he's not afraid of the pressure that you're under, and he's not surprised um, but he's more than present right now in this moment with you to help you through it. And, and that, that is the peace that we can have at this time. I mean, we accept the peace that Jesus gives, and when we do that, when our peace is not dependent on uh, circumstances, or our sense of completeness is not dependent on um, people and possessions, well then, uh, the peace that we have is, is, 
is not coming from or, or, or the things that we do are not based on anxiety or duress. They're, they're actually based on this unexhaustible uh, resource that is within each and every one of us. You know, when, I, when I put my confidence or I place my value, of, uh, sorry, I place an incorrect value uh, of peace on objects and things, then that pretend peace um, makes me pretend and behave like the old Robin who, who wasn't connected to God, who wasn't dependent on the Spirit of God. But when I access real peace and I rest in that, then people experience the real Robin. And this real Robin has, the, has an, um, an unexhaustible resource of good, a capacity for good within him um, that you have not yet seen the fullness of, that I have not yet seen the fullness of. And you're like, well, this is pretty cocky talk, isn't it? Well, actually, no, it's probably the most humble thing I could say because really, this is an example of Jesus alive and at work within me. And that's true for, that's true for you, Nevin. Um, that's true for you, Greg. Uh, that's true for each and every one of us. Uh, we haven't seen the best of what Jesus wants to do through, in and through us. And it's starting now at home, you know, forcibly with our families and friends. Uh, but, but maybe when we get out of this time and uh, we'll really begin to learn how to plug into that sense of peace that we have and love each other based on that. And when we do that, then we love more freely. We give more freely. We rejoice with each other more freely. We mourn with each other more freely. And then we can start looking like what Jesus described, that people could, your neighbors and your, um, and your coworkers could see how much you love each other and they would know that you are followers of Jesus. No pressure. I mean, we're under pressure, but really there's no pressure. I mean, this is what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And so let's let him do that work. Uh, let's rest in and plug ourselves into this static force, this constant force, this, this knowledge that God is with us and for us no matter what we are going through. And be reminded that we can let the Holy Spirit draw us and bring us into experiencing life rather than death. Um, experience what it is to be complete. Um, and thus being complete, also being at peace. Uh, this has been a great time. Thank you so much for your attention, for plugging in today uh, to this uh, broadcast. And uh, I want to pray a blessing for each and every one of us now that we would go forward, uh, not just with the knowledge of what we got to do to control our situations, but with the knowledge that we know the one who does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now uh, a blessing on each and every one of us that the duress that we're sensing and feeling by the situation, that you would help us carry it. Uh, that you would help us let go and, uh, and help us make it through this time. And I pray that you bring us all back together safely and rejoicing and at rest with the rest that you have invited us into. Praise right now in Jesus' name. Amen.